I uh, saw the movie CODA this week, C-O-D-A. Apparently it stands for Children of Deaf Adults. I found myself getting really moved in this movie. It won Best, best Picture. And it was this interesting family, very complicated family. So mom, dad, and older brother are deaf. Uh, younger 17-year-old sister is hearing. And they're trying to make life work in this fishing village. Uh, and, you know, ironically, this young woman has an incredible singing voice. So this deaf family with a singer for a daughter or a wannabe singer. And I don't know what it was, but I found myself really drawn into this story. I had to watch it in three different sections because it was a busy week. But each time, like, the world around me disappeared, and I was in this story, Coda. And, yeah, there were some places that felt like, oh, I don't think you need to do that, or this feels a little crass. Still, it was a really, really engaging movie. That moved me. And, um, you know, this beautiful, broken, complicated family figuring life out in Massachusetts in this fishing village. But most of all, I was entertained. I was just entertained by this film. Is entertainment Godly? Like, does, does God get entertained? Does God mean for us to be entertained? I sometimes think of entertainment as that way to stop becoming present. Like I was. I wasn't present, really, totally, to myself or the world around me. And it's like this, this thing that robs stillness and quiet and be, becoming aware. Like, entertainment. Is it good? Is it something that God enjoys and means for us to enjoy? It can be an anesthetic, a place where we just sort of veg out. It can sometimes celebrate the worst aspects of humanity, kind of hold them up, and depending on the writer or filmmaker or performer, it's like, ooh, that's like the worst of us being put up there. Um, you know, Herod entertaining his guests with the dance of his daughter of Herodias. That's like entertainment. So, you know, we're in this series about uh, all things matter to God's kingdom. Uh, the, the forward movement of God's kingdom in every vocation. And the ways in which he's placed us in different locations in order to see his kingdom as well. Where is his kingdom coming in the world of entertainment? Is it just like, oh, no, we're meant to rescue people out of the entertainment industry because that's where the world locates itself? Um, I don't think so. I mean, entertainment includes things like music and dance. And like this movie, like it was getting to me. There was a way in which I was informed about the deaf community or the challenges of the deaf community operating in a hearing world that I didn't know before. And it was a very engaging way of kind of getting to me from a side route. I think about the prophets. I think about Nathan could have confronted David in a very straightforward way about his relationship with Bathsheba. It was like he told a story and he stirs up David's anger. 
And then, boom, guess what? You're angry at yourself because you're the one. Like, there's a tricky way in which entertainment, whether it's music or dance or even stand-up comedy or film, like, gets into uh, our guarded places. And, you know, the prophetic world is full of a kind of theater you think about the prophets and the things that they did or the ways that they received a word from God, like I saw a great boiling pot and it was tipping to the north. You know, God plays these movies for the prophets and they interpret them into the context. I mean, I think of Jesus as a kind of uh, street performer, right? Because like, here's thousands of people and disciples are like hey how are we going to feed these people you do it like he's he's creating tension in this really unique way walking through a crowd who touched me he knows who touched him no he's this is a performance he's trying to get a message across through this very creative way spitting into dirt and you know is this some homeopathic remedy for blindness that you can spit in the dirt and put it. He doesn't need to. These are a way in which he engages people. It's a form of entertainment. It's a form of storytelling. It's a form of presenting truth in a theatric sort of way. Theater, storytelling, dance, performing arts, music. I think they'll all be in heaven i think they'll probably be stand-up comics or i don't know like there'll be ways in which i came to bring joy to the full and you know in this movie and in a lot of films like it provokes tears or laughter or curiosity and all these things that are in us like it it draws them out there are ways that entertainment is beautiful and holy and part of God's design to bring life to the full. And so we've been looking at and interviewing people in different industries or different uh, communities or vocations in order to explore what's it like to be a Christian in this space. So I thought we've got a number of uh, performing artists here and uh, a couple of filmmakers. I'm going to interview one of them. So I'm going to ask Jeff Pahorsky to come up and to share with us about filmmaking. So Jeff, come on up. Had to steal that one from you. <laughs> Just like ACDC. I do. Another dead one, yeah. Okay. So, hi, Scott. Hey. So, filmmaking. Like, talk a little bit about your journey. Did you always want to be a filmmaker, like from a young age? Yeah, I mean, um, let me catch my breath. Um, <laughs> I was always building things. You know, I built airplanes, um, you know, balsa wood small planes, and I would model airplanes. Model airplanes, yeah, and I would stage, you know, I don't know. Uh, Dunkirk, the War of Dunkirk, you know, the, I would uh, build forts, I would build marionettes and tell stories, and later in, uh, I would 
in grade school, I started acting, and I wrote short stories. Middle school, I discovered girls. Uh, high school, photography, and I got really into that, and decided I wanted to be a photojournalist. So I um, went to um, San Jose State, graduated, two years of photojournalism, and God left turned me into 2100 Productions at InterVarsity. So I worked there. Which is a media. Yeah, media. Place for InterVarsity student ministry. Right. So I started working there and got into slideshows. So then there was music and words with the pictures I was you know, making. And then I got into video and I was excited about that. And then finally quit InterVarsity, went to film school to learn drama another side of it, because I was mostly doing documentary, so then I did drama and documentary and it informed both, drama and documentary informed both disciplines. And um, then I built a network of people to work with, and then God said, well, you're gonna go back to Madison. So he turned me away from Vancouver, where I went to school, wanted to continue my career, and so I went to Madison and started Skunk Films. Skunk Films. Skunk Films, right. It was incorporated, and I just wanted to share, you know, other worlds, other lives with people. And I, I was kind of, at that time, I think, Chariots of Fire came out, and I was intrigued by Eric Little's comment about, um, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. Yeah. So, you know, he made... Yeah, and his sister was really pressing him, like, Eric, running is not <clears throat> something that glorifies God. And he's like, but when I run, I feel his glory. Yeah, exactly. That's my Scottish accent. Yeah. But yes, yeah, what I find fascinating, Jeff, about your story arc here is, like, there was something in your childhood. And, you know, I do think about God placing these seeds, even in kids. Maybe you didn't even really know God that well, but, like, this was, like, <laughs> a destiny, almost. The world of filmmaking and entertainment, God placing that in a kid. It's interesting, because some of the filmmaker, actor, um, performer, performing arts people I know, mm -hmm. are fairly shy, you know, the, the performance you did this morning uh, just a moment ago is just not typical of you, but it's like it's it's not an ego thing that I find in mm. filmmakers or actors. I'm sure ego is a is a danger, but it's like no, there's something inherent in their desire to present something that others watch, even if they're really shy themselves. Yeah, I think I agree. I think a lot of us are shy. I think um, we can get in trouble if we try to become, you know, get to the top. Celebrities. With rock and roll. Yes, you know, like that I mean, song. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's hard to get to the, you know, it's hard to get to the top, nothing less the first floor, right? We're, we're just trying to get on the first floor. But if you don't have a firm foundation, uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, there's a quote that I like. It, it says, a life without fame can be a good life. But fame without a life is no life at all. Hmm. And that's kind of how it is for me. Mm -hmm. so. And so how have you seen God show up in films? And say particularly, let's let's talk about not expressly Christian 
movies? Does God show up there? Oh, yeah. Is God present in those places? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many films that have uh, the gospel, have God, the kingdom, um, the values that we share. Um, so let's kind of run through some of them. It won't be 100, but it will be a tenth of that. Uh-huh. Your, your top picks for... Right. I'll read the summaries for these. Ross is doing a great job back there. He's got a lot Let's to do. Let's give Ross a hand. Yes. <laughs> so, A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick, who's done some fine work in Tree of Life and The Red, Thin Red Line and other films. Um, this story is about an Austrian farmer, Franz Jagerstatter, who refused to salute Hitler and serve in the army, resulting in his martyrdom. And it kind of reminded me of Romans you know, 12, 1, where... We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and that's what he did. But it's also a, a poignant uh, love story as well. Next. I don't think uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg would agree, but E.T. is a healer with followers who undergoes death, rebirth, and ascends to heaven. So maybe it's not so subtle. Yeah, but uh, you're parable. suggesting like there's almost a core kind of story we like to tell even mm -hmm. if you don't know God very well or whatever mm -hmm. like there's this something genetically built into us with this idea oh yeah it's definitely it's centuries super. old storytelling the journey Homer Wizard of Oz you know the journey overcoming evil uh, you know so the forward the backward the reversals all happen in a good script so and it happens in this one and then the next one is even more like that. At least Superman 1, not necessarily Man of Steel, but I like the poster. On, uh, on Earth, he hides his powers until he becomes an adult. Like Jesus in the wilderness, he travels to a remote spot where he consecrate, he's consecrated for his mission, guided by his father's voice. He reveals himself to humanity as Superman. He lives as a human, but he's from somewhere else. And can he reconcile his desire to live a human life with his higher calling. Uh -huh. And there are uh, forces opposed to his um, exactly. rescuing power or benevol benevolent mm -hmm. power. And, yeah, and kind of temptation to break free from his father and break free from good and do retribution and whatever, uh -huh. right? Uh, next one. Grand Canyon. Uh, lawyer... Max car breaks down the south side of L.A. and a street gang approaches. At the last moment, the truck driver saves him. Mac remembers a mysterious stranger who saves his life on the Miracle Mile three years ago and wonders if these two rescues are luck or something else. Meanwhile, his wife Claire finds an abandoned child in the bush and wonders what had happened if she hadn't heard it crying as she jogged past. In different ways, they each wonder who or what is reaching out to them. As Claire puts it, maybe we don't have any experience with miracles, so we're slow to recognize them. That's a good but like this interaction with the transcendent or the other mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. shows up. Yeah. And again, these are people who are not may not hold our Christian worldview, mm -hmm. but since this is a story that needs to be told. Right, exactly. Words out of my mouth. <laughs> Next. 
Uh, two black brothers and their friend in southwest LA are in danger from drugs and violence, with the father of one of them trying to teach his son right from wrong. Um, I mean, Singleton was like, I don't know, how, like 23 years old when he did this film. It's amazing. Anyway, it becomes a strong plea not only for peace and nonviolence, but also for African-American men to offer themselves as strong, positive role models for their children. Next. Uh, some of these films are pretty old. This is 85, I think. Lady Jane, young Lady Jane Grey, who becomes queen after Henry VIII dies, refuses to be a puppet and begins her reign with the gospel as her guide. She reads out of Luke. After only nine days, Queen Jane's council abandons her because of her ideas of reforming the country. When her father's rebellion fails, Queen Mary I offers to spare Jane's life if she renounces her Protestant faith. You have to watch it to find out. <laughs> Next. Daughters in the Dust, a look at the Gulaf culture of the Sea Islands off the coast of South Carolina and Georgia, where African folkways were maintained well into the 20th century and was one of the last bastions of these cultures in America. It illustrates the difficult transition, obviously, to America culture. Next, a lot of people have seen this one in the 80s. Babette, not Babette's Feast, shows how fundamentalist Christians lost their priority of loving each other. As they engage with Babette, they learn how making something excellently can be a service to God instead of pride. And maybe that service to God can bring reconciliation to a church that has forgotten its first love. So it's, a lot of these films are change, you know, shifting uh, the norm, right? Or we're going downhill, let's get back on track. Uh, Dr. Strange. Yeah, Stephen Strange is an arrogant surgeon who mocks any belief in the supernatural until he gets in a car accident and destroys his hands. His journey for healing leads him to a band of sorcerers who have kept the universe intact for centuries. Mm -hmm. A rage-fueled rebel threatens the order these sorcerers have created, and Strange joins them in battle. As Strange gains his new skills, he realizes his healing journey is inward, he must overcome his need to be in control and learn about repentance and sacrifice before becoming whole. So. Anyway, it's interesting that superheroes are so popular and um, Marvel is fulfilling that need for people to have this superhero or hero in their lives, which is fine. I think God brings heroes into our lives or at least images or facsimiles so that we can, oh, okay, Jesus is like that. But Jesus could be a hero too. We just have to sort of translate that, right? Um, I didn't, I don't have the picture, but in Wonder Woman, uh, it's a great film, the, the main character is a noble hero who defends life and says, it's not about what you deserve, it's about what you believe. And I believe in love. So that's, you know, Jesus giving grace to humanity, right? She's doing the same thing. Next. Oh, if you want to say something, Scott. No. Uh, so this is Kozlowski. Uh, he has a series of 10 films. This one's one. Um, each set in a Soviet-era Polish housing project. The first film follows a professor who lives with his young son. The professor doesn't believe in God or an afterlife, and his son is, feels more connected to his aunt's faith one commandment applies, thou shalt not have any gods before me. 
So whether to trust in rationalism or faith or what can be measured and what's transcendent um, permeates the whole story. The whole series is great. Next. Signs. Um, yeah, it's a film that it's a little on the point or, you know, obvious in some ways, but uh, it really explores the life of faith and the disasters that threaten it and the questions that challenge it, right? So, which is really good. It's really good for asking questions about God and faith and um, the afterlife. Preacher Graham Hess loses his faith in God after his wife dies in a brutal car accident. It's not really a horror film, but a tense tale about a man suffering a crisis of faith. As you remember, they, he says, are you the kind that sees signs, that sees miracles? Is it possible there are no coincidences? It's a great takeoff of conversation. And, I, and horror films is another category. I know you discussed it with some friends, and um, my daughter loves horror films. And horror films can be a great intro to discussion about evil. And, um, you know, Satan has a deceiver and all his disguises. And, you know, what's the answer? Um, where does evil come from? Is there a solution? And so those questions can be asked in these kind of horror, looks like nothing's going to happen, good um, situations and stories. So 10 Cloverfield Lane is a good horror film that is not as horror much, but it's about life, really. So you can see that in horror films. So you can look at films. You, know, you should watch Christian, non-Christian, whatever, secular films together. And you should watch them with people so that they can inform you about what the film's about. Because you'll have an idea about it. Maybe you're confused. Another person will have another idea about it. Maybe they can improve what you're, you know, or help you understand what the director's trying to do, the writer's trying to do. So I think it's helpful to have people with you to discuss it. And the whole point is discussion. You need to have discussion about movies. You need to have discussion about art and so that you can place it in God's plan, right? In God's kingdom and how that fits. So, Yeah, that's helpful. It's like um, so many films are faith adjacent or like interacting with these big ideas, perhaps from a worldview that is not, lo doesn't locate itself in, you know, Christian, Protestant, evangelical space therefore there may be some filter things that you need to I appreciate your recommendation watching it with others mm -hmm. and there there are some for whom certain images or scenes will stick with them in an unhelpful way mm -hmm. trying to figure out sort of how to manage that but that's also living in the world even if you don't watch many forms of entertainment you're mm -hmm. faced with those sorts of things but what about the projects you've worked on? Yeah. Where have you seen God move in those projects that are more, well, maybe not all of them have been expressly Christian, but many but, of them have. Yes, I think God has placed a veil on some producers and, and distributors who recommended my films and, and, and green-lighted my films because they didn't really know what they were about, and then all of a sudden they're done, and then they're like, Wow, this is about God. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, that's Christian, man. 
Um, so a little subversive. In yeah. That, well, that's know. part of my. Yeah. So between heaven and earth was my first kind of broadcast, and I did it. Uh, it's a story about a um, watermen who are crab fishermen in Chesapeake Bay, and they. Um, uh, and is it a documentary or? It's a documentary. Okay. Yeah. So it's a story about these watermen who have been polluting the Chesapeake Bay for years and years, throwing oil in their cans in the in the bay, and uh, over harvesting the crabs. And uh, there's almost no oysters anymore. And then they uh, don't pay their taxes much. They're basically outlaws on the water. And then they have Save the Bay Foundation, which is an environmental group trying to stop them. And they, you know, regulate them and put them out of business, um, trying to stop them because there's no conversation. There's no conflict resolution. There's no reconciliation. There's no understanding of this person, that person. So this woman whose doctorate program was in conflict resolution says, hey, this is a great place to start. <laughs> Can't lose here. So she went to Tangier and discovered, she's a Christian, and discovered that there were two churches on the island. And of course, there's only 600 people on the island, hour from shore. They don't talk to each other. <laughs> and they're both Protestant, right? So uh, she goes there and says, can I speak in the church? And say, oh, sure. Just a miracle right there, a woman speaking in the church. And so she speaks out of Genesis 1, and she talks about how God created the earth, and then he how it's great, and how you're supposed to be a steward of it. And then the Holy Spirit came, boom, on both churches. Renewal, a revival. They repented. The watermen started cleaning up. They stopped polluting. They actually cleaned up. They started paying their taxes. They stopped overfishing. The environmentalists are like, what is going on here? We've been doing this for 25 years. Because their idea years. is to shut them down, but right. her idea is to bring reconciliation. Right. And discover their sort of latent... Christian ethic, right? It was there, but somebody had to bring it out, and she did. The Spirit did, right? So then everything changed, you know? <laughs> and the watermen, like, or the environmentalists were like, you know, we should talk about God more, or we should understand our, you know, clientele or the people that were serving better, right? And, and so anyway, she, they, um, so that was the story. So I pitched that to WTT for PBS, and at the time, Bobette was still working there, and I was waiting to talk to the head of programming to sell the story, to do my pitch. And she walked down and said, hey, can you pray? And so we prayed. Bobette does. Bobette. Yeah. Not Babette. And so uh, Bobette prays, and, and we pray together, and then I go in. And then the head of programming comes in, and the old, an old woman comes in with him. And I'm like, okay. And he says, well, I apologize, but, you know, my... My mother's here. She's like 95, and you know, she comes along with me. You know, I have to bring her along. Do you mind? I said no, no problem. So um, she sits down. She says, "So you're pitching this project? I hope it's not about God or church or anything like that, religion." <laughs> and I said, "You know, well that's over. I don't have a chance." <laughs> uh, so I give the pitch, and then she comes back and says. You know, that's really kind of cool story about a woman defying the odds. <laughs> they went, you bet. And the son says, you got it. We'll broadcast it. So we put it together. We broadcast it. First what, week. What year was this? 19, what, 2001, I think. Uh -huh. So, you know, just when I was starting. And um, so she, so 
it came out, it was like the number one uh, viewed film that week. And then it was shown after that every uh, Earth Day, April 20th. And it, for 20 years, it's been on the PBS library. And this year... The PBS what? PBS. Oh, it's... Well, I mean, it's used... Across uh-huh. the country, if they wanted to use it, so they didn't it's, it's retire. Just there. It. They never retired it. And they never paid me for it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's the next question. No, I, so anyway, anyways, they just retired it. Somebody just called me and said, you know, I think they retired, took it off the library, off the broadcast list. So anyway, it was 20 years, so that's pretty good. Um, but the, fun, the funny thing is, when he came back, the programmer came back after it was broadcast he said um i didn't know it was about god and i didn't know it was about christianity you know again the veil of god came over his eyes and his mother apparently in that meeting and uh, nobody realized that the other video that's kind of similar to that um kind of revealing is uh uh, Web of Life, James Ewing worked on it. It's a story about the making of soil. So a UW scientist, soil scientist, and the National Academy of Sciences wanted to put this video, a series of videos together for freshmen to watch about the making of the earth, basically. You know, so. Um, so we, and the scientist was a Christian. We had three Christians working on it. On this soil, you know, creation of the earth. Oh, okay. So we go to all these, you know, 15 national parks and shoot all this stuff. And then I put the first episode together and he sends it to the National Academy of Sciences. And they said, uh, wow, it's really good. Except we can't really use it because it has too much God, uh, creation theory, and uh, religion in it. And, uh, of course... There's no God mentioned. There's no creation mentioned. Those words aren't in the script at all. There's no Christian mention or other than these things happen. And so it was just a real, just a real poignant moment where it was like, oh, the beauty and the brilliance of the processes of what God did to make this earth interconnected like it is um, impacted him them. Mm-hmm. And I think just subtly in their hearts and minds, the truth came to them, but they didn't recognize it, right? Mm-hmm. They, rec- they thought it was just this cultural thing. Mm-hmm. But it was this really God's thing. intelligent design. There's exactly. obviously a creator, even though none of that was stated explicitly. Exactly. So it's crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, sorry, where am I? Oh, so I'm going to show a clip, uh, another kind of similar clip where things change because of a video. Things change because of a piece of entertainment. So let's roll that tape, as they used to say. (laughs) It'll go higher. Just beautiful. We don't have privileged kids there. We have we have you know salt of the earth kids, and maybe they've never seen this. So this is a good chance to show them it. 
Well, they're the kind of students that are going to push me to make them do the most that they can do. And we have Lauren helping and George and I, maybe Cal, we could have him helping too. I thought they were insane, but they were like, we're going to go down this hill. I was like, that's a cliff, George. I was like, yeah, right, okay. Oh, okay, sure, we'll go down there, all right. Like, I'm pretty brave, but even that looks like, like a cliff, basically. So I had to like give all my trust to George and trust in him that he would lead me down the right path. Wow! It took like a lot of the bumps out. I mean, I was still bouncing every which way, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it probably would have been. We had one mat, drive on, move it, go to the front, drive on, go to the front, on and on and on, until we got to hard enough ground with my wheels to drive on. Terrifying, but exhilarating. Damn few people ever seen a wolf, and fewer yet have tracked a wolf. And right where you are, there was a wolf. And then we actually found the tracks of the wolf, and then it was all worth it after that, putting the plaster in and getting the mold. <laughs> oh, this is so awesome. Oh, look what's coming out. It was really cool to see once you cleaned it off, the paw print, oh, and it was like a piece of history that you always have. The feeling like, overwhelmed me for a while. I teared up a little, just the fact that I had accomplished something to that extent. I didn't think that was possible, but it happened, so no, I think we could pretty much do anything now. I think this trip really pushed my limits and showed how many things I can actually do. They enjoyed it so much, they all want to come back next year. If there's a way to make a place accessible, you should do it. Yeah. Because they're no different than a walking person. They want to see the same things, and it should be normal to see three wheelchairs drive through Yellowstone. People, of all people. Uh -huh. What was your role on that project? Produce and shot the whole thing, yeah. And usually it's doing all three things. Shooting, writing, shooting, and editing. Um, and so I talked to the the ranger, Yellowstone ranger, about you know accessibility, and they had problems. They couldn't go into the bathrooms because they're too small and all this stuff, and they couldn't get to certain places because uh, I they would, I would follow them and then they have to stop and then I would oh well okay. So um, a few months later, after I published it on YouTube, the um, Wolf tractor, tracker contacted me and said, "Hey, you know, Yellowstone Board of Directors is meeting, and they want to talk about you know accessibility issues and uh, how we can change things. And could you send us a film because I want to show it to them." And so they showed the film, and then you know it was the testimony of the students who are in it, uh, the rest of it, and um, Yellowstone, based on that, changed the bathrooms, rebuilt all the bathrooms, put in bridges. Put in new throughways, uh -huh, walkways know, that are accessible for wheelchairs. Right, there's just a few, you know, at that point. So mm. it's changed because of the video. So wow, so it can be good. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. I think I want to hit the sort of, of um, how Christians should approach secular movies a little yeah, later, we like one. you know, when we're talking about you know how would you like to see the church, but yeah. can we? Talk about ethical dilemmas. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, so you're in this field that just has 
uh, from what I understand from other uh, film folk I know, very, very few people who hold um, as sacred the Christian worldview. So what kind of ethical challenges have you faced in your life as a filmmaker um, in this industry that you know very can be very difficult to find mm -hmm. other believers? Yeah. Well, I guess it had to do with this prayer when I started. Uh, you know, I got my, you know, I started, I got my incorporation and I like started my, to try to get stories, right? I need to get stories. So how do I get stories? And so I'll just ask God. So I, I went to my bedroom, got on my knees and I prayed, you know, God, give me stories that I'd love to make. Give me stories that are significant, that'll change lives, you know, that are good that you would love, that you'd love watching. You know, it's really, like, it's for you. So bring those films to me. You know, and it was really a heartfelt, tear-jerking kind of moment for me. And then um, and God answered. <laughs> Amazing. So the next day I got a call from an L.A. producer, and um, he goes, hey, I got this gig. It's a whole week at the Playboy Mansion. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, with lots of benefits, you know. Financial, obviously, mostly, probably. Um, and I thought, wow, this is a big kind of thing. This was like your moment to break into the industry. Exactly, break into L.A. and, and whatever. So, And he had a lot of connections. So um, I didn't say no right away, <laughs> but I did the next morning. But I, you know, I thought about it because I you know, had nothing on my resume that was you know, other than InterVarsity. So I, you know, what am I going to do? But I said no, and that also cut him off. That he was never going to be—he's not going to call me ever again uh, for a job. And that happens a lot. If you don't say yes, you know you're, you're going to lose. So I, I kind of coming in from the outside as an independent filmmaker. You know, I don't—if I went, I didn't because I started a little bit later. Uh, I didn't go the route of I'm going to be a first assistant director my whole life, or I'm going to be a costume designer my whole life, um, or a director of photography. I'm just going to do everything. And so I'm not in the union, which means I don't have to do everything that is connected to the unions. And so I don't have to say no to the union and maybe lose my union status. So I'm independent, like James is independent. Um, and we work outside on the edges, you know, and then come in, do our thing, come out, come in, come out. You know, that's how it works. So, um, so in this situation, you know, I was like, you know, I can do other things. And... Um, so the big part of this is that since then, I've never had to say no to anything. No project has come to me where I have to say, well, that's crappy or that's bad. I mean, they're all kingdom values. They're all, you know, the Chesapeake thing, the whatever, you know. I mean, the three, you know, wheelchair scientists, um, it's, it's all good. It's amazing. So how do you interpret that? Like you were tested? In I this? guess so. Yeah. So okay, yeah, we did the testing in the desert, um, and um, yeah, I don't know. We just kept to it, and uh, I think that was the. He goes, well, if we did that. I guess we'll give him bigger things. So um, or he said no to big thing, and he got bigger, and he got other things. So yeah. Um, Anyway, costs for you to live this life 
uh, as well, a filmmaker? Yeah, it's tough to live uh, as a freelancer because you don't know, you know, you only get paid when the phone rings. And, um, you know, it's tough in all kinds, you know, in music, dance, um, film. It takes time, energy, money. Um, it takes, you know, the time for me, especially as an individual, an independent filmmaker, I can spend lots of hours away from my wife, away from my family, away from church, um, and be isolated in this sort of world. And so you have to watch. These are all temptations. Um, but I think as a filmmaker, as any artist, I think you need to, well, if you want to really make, cross-pollinate, you know, Christian, non-Christian, cross-pollinate and uh, share God with others, you need to have universal themes. So you have to have both. You know, the universal themes have to be in there. You have to see the Christian stuff, but they, they have to see the, that you can do other stuff. So I think part of it is just, you can't go into Hollywood, you can't go into the media without some expert knowledge. They're not going to respect you. So you're just a noise if you come in without getting skills, without you know, doing some planning and, and starting from the bottom and moving up. I mean, if you don't do those things, you're just a uh, gong, you know, in the industry. So, um, and I think me being passionate about my faith-based work, they no, they're all like, because I'm passionate about it and I'm proud of it, they, they don't say anything about it. They're, you know, they um, respect it. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's all, with a lot of these vocations we've been talking about, how do you become, how do you live in this industry but not become of this industry? Yeah. doesn't matter which vocation. There mm -hmm. is a tension right. of not allowing that to sort of define your spirit mm -hmm. and to be thoroughly in it. It's easy to be not of when you're not in. So, like, let's just surround myself with others who think like me. That way I don't have to be of this, mm -hmm. but you're also not in it. Right. And so you're talking about that tension of having a craft that you're good at and a resume or portfolio that may include some things that are very expressively not Christian, um, mm -hmm. although you said no to certain things. Like, there's a line there somewhere. And um, yeah, I think that's <clears throat> a universal challenge. for. Right, and you need to be soaked in prayer. You need to have cover. I know. I realized when I went off and did things, and things fell apart. I was right. I didn't. I just did it on my own. I really didn't bring God into it. I mean, I brought God into it personally, but I didn't really bring the community into it. And you need to bring the community into it in a prayer way. And then you also need to create something new. You can't um, instead of moving parallel to culture, you know, go perpendicular, go ahead. But just being here, I don't think so. Mm. Not for me, anyway. Show next video, please.
ese por cuál, en cuál estoy. Mm, unos delitos ahí que nos pusieron. Por lo que estoy condenado. No fueron a sacar de mi casa. Fui por ser lo que soy. No, no. Did it not show? Oh, that's too bad. Um, Tell us about what yeah, the, the, the project. Yeah. yeah. So we went to Guatemalan um, uh, prison, maximum security prison, and uh, Nate Clark and I went in to do a story about um, a church that um, had some ex-gang members um, come into the prison, which is full of gang members, uh, 18, gang 18, and they um, they had their block, basically they owned the block. So the, they let me in, they let Nate in, and we went into the prison to kind of record what their, we interviewed the prisoners. But you had to have some sort of gang approval for you to be in there and exactly. not get killed. Right, exactly. Because the uh, guard would just open the door and lock it and let you in, and it's up to you. You could live or die. They didn't care, you know. So, uh, so we were in there and we interviewed the murderers, mostly murderers, in for life for 40 years or 25 years. We had a guy that was 20, and he said, you know, most of the people, uh, most of the guys, uh, the gang was a family. They didn't have fathers, didn't have mothers, didn't have anybody helping them through the world, and so they went to the gang and the gang supplied their needs, you know, and, and loved them. And so that whole block was just a, a gang and it, it worked like a gang. You had a president, you had, you know, vice president and you had your, you know, new guys that would come in and they would do all the, you know, get me some bread and get me this. And there was a lot of stuff coming in from the outside and people like girlfriends would come in with their kids and, um, you know, if you looked at the girl wrong, you know, you're pretty much, you know, done for the day. And they'd smoke pot, um, and, and they liked that, you know, the authorities, because it kept them calm, you know. And so they blew smoke in my face, they spit in my face, they did all this the first day. And when I came back the second day, they were like, okay, well, this guy's not giving up. Okay, we'll uh, invite you in. And, and I was able to do these great kind of alongside the family. Was their, that was their family, you know. But they had a critical eye about the church, disrespecting them and, and judging them based on their tattoos and based on their, obviously, previous life, so or current life, <laughs> even. And um, so love was the theme of this video. Um, and so, anyway, um, I thought it was very powerful, it was powerful to me to just be in there and to see these people in, in a space, um, you know, from this wall. Um, to the row of chairs, and just that's all they had to live their whole lives. They never saw the outside. So it was just kind of painful. But uh, there was one gang member who came in and, and he would minister to him. And he said, If it's not about love, don't come in here. If it's not about love, don't show up. So, wow. yeah. So God moved in that, in 
a couple ways. Number one, you weren't killed. That is a yeah, move of God. A There's a number of times where God has saved my life, yeah. And then you saw God operating through this person with the commodity of love or with the you know product of, of love as being like that was his, this is all, this is the key inside here. Don't even come in without <laughs> love. Set aside judgment and your preconceived notions of these guys. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it changed you, too. Yeah, no, it did a lot. And uh, it gave me more, I don't know, confidence that I could go anywhere, you know, and, and, and be protected and also learn uh, about different cultures. You know, I've been around, you know, 35 countries, whatever, and I've learned a lot. But uh, you need to take risks. And that was a risk. You know, if you really want the story, if you really want to make a difference, you have to take risks. And so your belief in God is going to help you do that. You know, your trust in God and your relationship. So that goes on. Give some advice to us. Like, how should we approach, particularly film, it may apply to all performing arts or entertainment, but how do you advise us as individuals to engage or consume this kind of art and then you can also talk about what you would hope the church's relationship with this industry might look like in the future. But us as individuals and then like the church, what do you hope for? Yeah, I think you need to be exposed to different kinds of medium, you know, media and like music and dance. And, and so you can talk to your friends about it and so you can um, absorb the different um, ways that people are communicating with each other. So there's a communication thing. So... Um, and you need to support filmmakers, so it's good to, you know, support us by actually telling us stories in your lives, or stories that you've heard, that we could tell. So, so we're the loudspeaker. So just kind of give us the information to shout it out to the world. And so we need people to pray for access for us to have access into the world of entertainment. All areas of entertainment. We need access and we need bravery. So pray for bravery. Um, and um, you know, your um, God's story is your story. So um, tell your story. Um, it'll permeate culture like leaven. You know, it'll just penetrate um, these stories. You know, he's, as you've seen, they, they penetrate the hearts of people in ways you don't even know. So, you know, I did a, um, I tried to get a feature done on Jack London, and James worked on that as well, and it didn't happen. People supported it and everything. It could still happen, but it didn't um, so far. But it may have done something to the people that worked on it, or, you know, the trailer that we did. Um, so, pray for leaders in the industry that you know, or not that you know, but you know of, you know, pray for J-Lo, whatever, you know, pray for somebody uh, that you want them to know Jesus. And, you know, maybe she does, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, pray for the leaders. There's a company called, or an organization, Master Media International, and they come out with this sort of newsletter, and they have a prayer uh, guide that goes with it. And you can pray for Ridley Scott, you can pray for actors, you can pray for um film executives and people behind the scenes. They're all listed there. Every day you can pray for one of them. And um, and this is stories about Christians in the media and how they're, and films. 
and how those films, like I showed you, can have Christian values. And, and, um, and so I met with the East Coast guy for the prayer letter, the prayer guide, and told him to put my name on the list. <laughs> so I, I'm on the list. And uh, that was early on, early 2000s. So that was good. Um, yeah. Great. Um, you talk about courage and, you know, you went with me earlier this week to New York City and I was driving. Is that one of those places <laughs> you felt Is like you needed courage? Yeah. I definitely prayed every morning <laughs> before we went out, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he was a good driver and uh, I'm just glad you were in my hands or I was in your hands. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it doesn't take much money to do these things now with Instagram and you know you can reach millions of people you know in in one day um, I mean they're still expensive feature films that cost lots of money and episodic television costs lots of money but any everything's possible and um, you know we start at Jerusalem and we go out into the world God uses our technology right and he uses humans need for story or love of story and connection to reach the world. So we could show uh, the fourth film. I won't explain this one if it doesn't show. But <laughs> what do you think I do? And she goes, oh, I have no idea. And then I said, you want to tell you what the two top guesses are? And she goes, what's that? I said, either a rap artist or a professional wrestler. And I said, uh, but I'm neither. I said, I'm a minister. And she's like, of what? <laughs> During that time, our gang homicide rate was higher than Chicago's. There had been blood literally running in the streets. A lot of drugs that uh, went hand in hand with the gang violence. Suddenly here, pop, 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 pop. And just the guy dropped. There was these notes on the door, letters typed out. And they started off by saying, you stupid peoples, don't you realize that you've moved into the worst neighborhood? No one stays here. We would walk around uh, after church on Sundays with groceries to all of the people around the neighborhood. We were just determined that we were just going to keep loving the city, loving the people. You having any more blackouts? Can I pray for you right here? Whatever. Every person around me needs something. They need healing in their body. They need peace in their heart. They need fears calmed. And we started praying for people and just walking around and still do. Is that as far as you can go? Is it hurt up here too? And in the name of Jesus, I command you armed to be completely made whole. Jesus said, pray for the sick. I've done what I'm supposed to do in those situations. I've responded. The results belong to him, not to me. <laughs> he loves you so much. <laughs> He's healing your arm right now. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yep. While they're talking to our friend Sam, and they said, you know, I think that you have a leg shorter than another, and I think that God wants to grow that out. And I immediately thought, this is ridiculous. There was a lot of stress, there was a lot of chaos, but seeing that at any moment in time, you can expect a miracle. We wanted to see Aurora change. We wanted to see Aurora be a place where that love was known, where that violence wasn't ruling and taking lives. And we saw that happen. 
Illinois' second largest city, Aurora, reports that there were no murders committed in 2012. Zero. That hasn't happened since 1946. I could look and say, well, you know, God speaks to somebody better, somebody more talented, somebody thinner, somebody with more hair. We think our obstacles, God wants to do that through us, the way we are. What I'm going and doing is taking those tools and, and putting them in other people's hands, tools that I felt God gave to me. There's this ductiveness about fame. It's like swimming in the ocean. It's to be respected. The greater your visibility, the bigger target you are. It just means more people know you, and then therefore they're going to take shots at you. They took our passports and kept them overnight. So we're hoping to get them back soon, but it was a hairy experience. There's such a preconceived idea that we're just trying to get people to switch religions. I may be praying for the Taliban. I may be praying for an ISIS member. But Jesus said this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. things that I'd seen with Robbie, I was like, if this is real, if this is true, is there such a thing as this, is this God that does these miracles, that transforms lives that the world would say is totally hopeless? I have to see this. I have to know more about this. A long-standing film that I've been working on, so I thought it'd be a good ender. Thank you, Jeff. I'd like uh, James Ewing, who's another filmmaker in our community, to pray for Jeff. Oh, Lord, we are so touched by what we just saw, that you love so deeply all humanity, that you're willing and desirous to come and heal, transform, change, redeem. God, thank you for Jeff and the gifts you put within him, for his journey, God, for the journey from uh, early child to today, the, the desires, the gifts, the talents that you placed within him. Just faithfulness to you, his saying no to the temptations, the easy road. God, you have so honored him. 
Lord, I just pray that the very things that you put within Jeff's heart would be manifest, would be seen, would be released. The films that you still have him to create and make would come to fruition, especially as he's now moving toward uh, a new direction in the next year. Lord, may you anoint him in a greater measure. Lord, you've seen his uh, faithfulness to you. Lord, I just pray you bless that and anoint him, anoint his eyes, his mind, his heart, his words, his writing ability, his communication ability, his technical ability, his creative ability, all the things that you put within him, Lord. May this be the hour, the time that it all comes to a head and explodes, God. We pray that it all would explode for the kingdom of God, for love would truly come to town Mm -hmm. through the films, the documentaries, whatever it is that you give Jeff, Lord, that your kingdom, your love, your presence would be seen, understood, Maybe not, if it's not understood, it would be felt and touched. It would change lives. Lord, that's our desire for the kingdom of God to come, your will to be done. So, Lord, just bless your servant, Jeff, and take him to the greater heights of creative expression. And it's all for you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you.